When I lived in Red Bank, I had a friend who was a therapist, and we became very close. He was a great counselor. We met every other week for lunch. Some of you are thinking, great strategy for free psychotherapy, Christian. Yes, but he was a dear friend who, who listened to me, but I also listened to him an awful lot as well, and he would tell me about what work was like for him. One afternoon, we were walking after lunch, and he said, sometimes, Christian, the hardest thing I have to do is to listen to the sermon on Sunday. Now, he, w- he went to the church where I preached. <laughs> he said, I always listen through the ears of my clients. And what you pastors don't recognize is how often the things you say put people in emotional binds because of the challenges that people have interpersonally. The worst, he said, is sermons on forgiveness. Because what happens is people who are hurt, now they have the additional hurt of hearing that they're supposed to forgive that person and it puts them in a double bind. This morning, I have a message on the challenge of forgiveness. In some ways, I'm glad he's not here. (laughs) I do not want to put anyone in a bind at all. I don't. What I want is for all of us to know freedom because of the time we spend together on this. Freedom on the one hand from the kind of pain it is to live with unforgiveness. Do some of you know what that's like? And then freedom on the other hand uh, to, to genuinely accept God's forgiveness of us so that we can pass along that forgiveness to others. If you have someone who has hurt you, I know this, the idea of forgiving can sometimes seem impossible, especially given what has happened in your past. If you would let that come to mind this morning and then open your hearts, uh, because the community that Jesus intends is one where we forgive one another. Uh, Let's start with the rule, the basic rule for how it's meant to work with those who are trying their best to follow after Jesus. Colossians 3.13, listen to what it says. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This was written to a group of folks in Colossae who were in a church where people had reason uh, to feel hurt by the others around them, where uh, folks who came together trying to follow Jesus had harmed one another. There's a a broad misconception that early on uh, there wasn't conflict in churches. It's not true at all. There always have been and always will be. In every single community where people's lives overlap, we will hurt one another. Do you know this? Which is why Paul addresses this community with this hypothetical. He knows the answer already. If anyone has a complaint against another. He knows enough to know, of course, they have reasons to complain against each other. Every letter in the New Testament written to a church 
shows that people in those communities had reasons to complain against each other. In Colossae, there were groups of people who were against each other. On the one hand, there were super religious folks in that church who with their speculation, their philosophical ideas, their super, super spiritual doctrines, they divided up from others and judged people who didn't look at the world just like they did. They, they pushed people away from the simple truth of following Jesus with all of their complicated ideas and, and they in their super spirituality, look down on people who didn't agree with them. Are you surprised to hear that happened in a church? On the other hand, there was a group of super unreligious people in Colossae who, because of the freedom that was theirs in Jesus, thought they could do whatever they wanted. And so they followed their passions this way or that way. They were immoral, idolaters. They did whatever they felt like. Both of these groups were in the same church. And instead of writing to them, first of all, to say, Everyone's got to get their behaviors in order before you belong here. He told them very plainly what they should do if they had complaints against one another. Do you see it up there? Forgive one another. You have to forgive each other, Paul would say. And he said that for a reason. He said that because he knew that the truth about all of us is that as long as we walk, we will be stumbling that we'll always get things wrong and it will harm the people around us. And the most important thing for the community of faith to embody is the grace that has been given to each. And so the call is to forgive each other. Do you know that just as in every other church there were problems, that there will also be real reasons to complain against one another at Renaissance Church? Does anyone here know that? No one wants to admit it? Someone will say something to you. Someone in this church will say something to you careless some careless word, and it will hurt you. Uh, someone else will say something carefully designed to hurt you, and it will work, and that will happen in the church. Yes, <laughs> yeah. There will be an unintentional oversight here, and that will make you feel left out. Uh, there will be an intentional oversight from someone, and then you'll be left out on purpose. Is that too honest to say? That's what happens, because here we are, all of us, in process of becoming the kinds of people that we're meant to be and we're all flawed and messed up and we'll hurt each other because of that. There will be all kinds of things which we do or all kinds of things which we should do but don't do which will make us feel unsupported and left out and harmed and, 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 and it'll just hurt. And when that happens, the invitation that's given to us here is that we should forgive each other. Uh, how often will you need to forgive the people around you? Do you think it'll be a lot? If someone said to me, Christian, when was the last time you personally struggled with unforgiveness? I would have to look at the clock and say 32 minutes ago. And I'm not kidding. In, uh, it, it, here's where we need to take our time. Listen. Because it's easy to hear this challenge that we should forgive each other incorrectly. As my therapist friend warned, when talking about the need to forgive, it's easy to be put in a double bind as if you are forced to make yourself feel something different than what you feel because of what that other person did. And that's not only hard to do, it's often impossible to do. Would you acknowledge that? And listen, that's because that's not what forgiveness is. Not long after I had that conversation with my therapist friend, I was invited to give uh, a, speak, a, a talk down at a, a conference in South Jersey at a big church, and I talked about forgiveness there. And afterward, uh, this couple came to me looking very sad, and, and the husband explained that their son was not there at the conference because he had been killed in a car accident. His best friend, who also was a part of that church, was drunk, crashed the car, and he was in jail even though their son was dead. And he said, I can't forgive him. Is that what you're telling me I have to do, forgive him? This is why this is a really challenging message. 
uh, because many of us in this room will have hurts behind us that have caused us to have to face losses that nothing can repair. And the idea that we're supposed to make ourselves feel something we don't is impossible. But listen now, that's not exactly what forgiveness is. It's not to make oneself feel something. And, and there's a, a bit of guidance here from the way Paul addresses the subject that helps us see our way to understand what forgiveness is. Notice again that he says uh, that at the end here that it's as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And, and what that means is, is that if you can see how Jesus has forgiven you, then you're ready to accept the challenge of forgiving others. Before seeing how the Lord has forgiven you, you cannot see what he calls you to. That's critical. Uh, and, and, and thankfully, the disciples who were first of all walking around with Jesus also had a hard time with forgiveness, and therefore Jesus taught them about what it looks like. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, there's a moment where he, he gives them guidance, the guidance that we need to see what forgiveness looks like. Uh, some of you were here last week when we talked about Jesus teaching about how to confront one another when someone in the community does something wrong. Immediately after that lesson, one of the disciples asks Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Have you ever felt that? When, when's enough, right? When, when should I just... And, and, and instead of immediately answering uh, that question with a, with, with a, a simple and, and tied up response, Jesus tells a story. And it's a story in which there's a picture of forgiveness. And, and I want you to hear this, and then we're going to look at it. What Jesus did is he, he drew a picture for the person who asked about how, how I should forgive, in which that questioner is painted into the scene. And, and, and this is the truth. Before you or I can approach forgiving the person who's harmed us, we need to see how we've been forgiven. And that's what we need to see. And if it's hard for you to think about forgiving that other, then the first thing and the second and third always is going to be to see yourself in this picture. L look at what Jesus painted. He says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. There's a king and there are some slaves who owe that king. And there's going to be a settling up of accounts, Jesus says. When, when Jesus mentions kingdom of heaven, listen now, he doesn't just mean what happens after you die. I think we mishear that often. Jesus means the place and the time where the authority of God is present and is accepted. And that should happen all the time. That's why Jesus said he came to bring the kingdom of heaven. He embodies the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying the place where God's authority is accepted is like a king and then there are some slaves who owe that king and the king is going to settle up accounts. Now look at what happens. Verse 24, when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. The first slave that's pictured, the first servant, owes more than he has. And since he cannot pay back what he owes, the master decides we're going we're to recoup some losses by selling him and his entire family into servitude to someone else who'll pay some money for them. They're going to go to work for someone else and whatever I can get for that, I'm going to use that to cover this debt and everything he owes, I'm also going to sell that. That's a horrible outcome for the servant, don't you think? If you imagine yourself put in that position, you imagine that would be awful. Please listen now. As Jesus is telling this story to Peter, he wants Peter to imagine himself in that position. Watch what happens. Verse 
26. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Recognizing the gravity of his situation, he falls down on his knees, and he begins to plead with the king, and he makes a request of the king, and he makes a promise to the king. His request, have patience with me. His promise, I'll pay you back absolutely everything I owe you. Now, both his request and his promise are absolutely absurd. And it's hard for us to see that, this distance from this original story, but anyone who heard Jesus' story would know how ridiculous it is because of how much this guy owes the king. Did you, did you hear what it was? It was 10,000 denarii. Excuse me, 10,000 talents. One talent is 6,000 denarii. And the denarii is what a man in this environment can earn if he works from sunrise to sundown. And that means this guy owes 60 million days of labor to the king. 60 million days. Do you know how many years that is? I do because I checked it out. 164,383 years and six months of labor without one day taken off. It means that he can never pay the debt which he owes. And that also means that he does not need patience, but he needs something else instead. Can you see what he needs? He needs forgiveness. Forgiveness is not telling yourself that the wrong another person has done to you is insignificant because that would be dishonest. And that's not what God wants of us. Forgiveness is not forcing yourself into a psychological state where you Pretend that you don't care about the pain another has caused you. That would be emotionally deadly. Have you ever tried that? It doesn't work, does it? Forgiveness is not pretending that you've forgotten about the past when you have not. That would be foolish and dangerous. Forgiveness is something else altogether. The simple meaning of the Greek word that we find in the Bible, which is translated forgive, is very instructive in its original non-religious setting, which is the way that all of these disciples would have heard all of the words that Jesus spoke, the word forgive means to send off, to release, to let go of, or to leave behind, to set aside. Think of this. Forgive each other. Let go of it. Uh, Release that other person. Go ahead and, and leave that behind. I want you to watch what happens with the king. This is verse 27. And out of compassion for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. The king decided to let go of what was owed to him, to leave it behind, to set aside the money and accept the loss. And that is a big loss, don't you think? And that king will have to from then on live with that loss, but he decides, and the king's allowed to do this, he decides that he's not going to let the future relationship that he has with that servant be determined by the man's past failures. And he's motivated in that decision by compassion. And here is where we need to accept the truth that this is a picture of how God has decided to relate to each and every single person that we will ever meet. And this means the person who has harmed you 
that whatever debt they owed God because of what they did wrong to you, Jesus teaches us that if we're going to see that person correctly, we have to accept that when they stand before God like this servant, this is the decision that God has made. And more importantly, according to the way Jesus tells this story, is that you need to see yourself also standing before God and you have to accept that that is how God has decided to relate to you. This is through and through the heart of the gospel that God decides not to deal with us according to our transgressions. And God's allowed to do that and that's the decision that God has made. That God's anger for what we do wrong, well, that may be fierce, but according to the scriptures, it only lasts for a moment. His compassion for you, his mercy and forgiveness for you is for a lifetime because that's what God has decided to do. That is when he looks at each and every one of us, what he sees through and through is a beloved son or daughter. And because he is king, he's allowed to make that decision and he has. And the only way you'll ever see yourself truly is if you see yourself before God in the same way that this servant stood before God, which is that even though you make crazy promises and ask for ridiculous things from God, he still has compassion on you and he loves you and therefore he releases you from every bit of your debt. Can you, can you venture to see yourself that way before him? If you can't, then you're not ready to accept the challenge that Paul gives, which is we should forgive one another because he says, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Would you dwell on God's forgiveness for you for a moment? Would you let all of your regret, all of your sin, all of the things that you've done that you know are wrong come up before you and imagine yourself in God's presence with that fully exposed and then according to Jesus, what you should expect when you look at God is a look of pure and perfect fatherly love. And he is so glad he's got you there before him so that he can let it go and embrace you and make you altogether new. Would you accept that, please? That's how God means for us to look at ourselves. Has someone harmed you badly, yes or no? I know it's true. Because I'm a pastor, I listen to people talk about the, the things that have been done to them. And some of the things that you bear are so Heavy. In fact, some of the debts that others have earned by the way, ways in which they've failed you have added up to something impossible ever to be paid back. Isn't that true? This is where this is a heavy message. For whatever reason, God has made us so that we have the capacity not only to love each other, but also to harm each other irreparably. And that's the truth, don't you think? In November of 2000, a man named Hector Black received the horrible news that his daughter had been murdered. We live in a world where that happens. She was 43 years old. Her name was Patricia. When she was 11, Hector and his wife had adopted her because they believed in God. They believed that people who come up and have difficult situations in life should be given a home in the same way that God adopts us. They adopted her into their family. Her mom had been an alcoholic and wasn't able to care for her. She had been living by herself. She came home and interrupted a robbery in progress and Ivan Simpson took her life. And the moment that Hector Black heard this story, this fact of what happened with his daughter, the immediate response in him was to seek revenge. Can anyone relate? And, and who could blame him? For a year, as the preparations for the trial were ongoing, he was tortured with the thought of what, what kind of monster could do such a thing and why should this happen? Shortly before the trial, he and his wife, believing in what Jesus says about forgiveness, reached out to the district attorney and said, please don't give him the death penalty. We don't think that's right. And the DA was angry but honored their requests. At the sentencing, 
Hector Black asked if he could read a statement, which he did. And this is what he said. I don't hate you, Ivan Simpson, but I hate with all my soul what you did to my daughter. I wish for all of us who have been wounded by this crime, I wish that we might find God's peace. I wish also that for you, Ivan Simpson. After reading it, Hector looked into the killer's face and tears were streaming down Ivan's cheeks. And this is what he said. It was the first time I looked into his eyes, Hector later explained, and it was like a soul in hell. It was just indescribable. Uh, That night, Hector returned to the hotel room where he and his wife had stayed in order to be at the trial. And as he put it, I couldn't sleep because I felt as though a tremendous weight had been lifted from me and that I had forgiven him. So as he lay there awake in the hotel room, he got up and he decided to write a letter to Ivan. Dear Ivan Christopher Simpson, I am writing because I wanted you to know how I feel. I forgive you for what you did to our beloved daughter. I don't know if this will be any comfort to you, but I wanted to tell you. We will both have to live our lives with the pain of this deed always there. Patricia tried to make the world a better place. We should also try. That, that is someone who forgives as the Lord has forgiven. It's remarkable, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? I heard this story while I was sitting in my car. I was picking my son up from Boy Scouts and the story had just started. I sat in my car and he waited inside. I couldn't stop listening because it's such a gripping and a magnificent picture of what it looks like not to pretend it doesn't hurt. You heard him say, we'll always have to live with this pain but rather to decide as the Lord has decided about each one of us, listen to this, to release, to leave behind, to let go of, to set aside, to say to the people around us that you are not the wrong which you have done to me, and therefore I am willing to set it aside. This is what God has done in Christ for all who will simply receive that gift that he gives. And this is why it matters for us. And this is why I talk about it here in church. As long as we are a part of this church or any church, we will have innumerable opportunities to forgive others because all of our lives long, all of us will be constantly put in that position because we are going to do the wrong things to one another. Our parents will hurt us. Inside, every child in here is screaming amen. Our spouses will do the wrong things and and we'll have reasons to complain based on how they treat us. Our children will mess up. That was a silent amen from the parents. Our friends will turn out against all odds to be betrayers. Our companions at church, the people who we thought better of, all of them will owe us and if we're honest, we will actually owe every one of the people around us in one way or another a debt. And the question for us is, will we forgive, please listen to this, as God has forgiven us? 
because only the one who can accept God's forgiveness. And by the way, this is the truth about Hector Black, truly, is that he was a man who believed in God's forgiveness for himself, first of all, and that was the most important thing in his life. But only when we can accept that are we ready to move forward and turn and forgive others. In the story that Jesus told, after depicting the great forgiveness of the king, Jesus went on to show what it looks like when someone is unable or unwilling to choose to forgive the people who owe them a debt. And we need to see this. This is verse 28. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Now, now listen carefully. This man had just been forgiven himself a debt, and it was 60 million denarii. And now he turns to this other fellow who owes him a hundred, and he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me back. Does that look absurd to you? 29, then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar to you? It's meant to because it's virtually the same thing that the one who has him by the throat had just said to the king. And, and, and in his case, he was forgiven that debt. And watch what happens in verse 30. But he refused, then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. And here's where the true magnitude of his absurdity shows itself. The fact is, if he had given patience to that other worker, then he would have had to work about three months to pay him back. And of course, he could have received what he was owed. But since he's thrown him in prison, he has no opportunity ever of paying him back, which means from now on, that debt will certainly always exist between the two of them by virtue of the fact that this man chose not to have patience with him, not to forgive him. And what Jesus has painted here in his picture is the exact opposite of forgiveness. And it's also a picture of what it looks like when we won't forgive those who owe us a debt. And there's no doubt about it. This is what Jesus meant to teach Peter as Peter had asked, what, what am I supposed to do in forgiving others? Here Jesus first of all wanted to, to show Peter how he had been forgiven by God and then to show Peter what it looks like from God's perspective when we won't forgive the people who have wronged us. Here I want to give you five observations about what happens when we won't forgive. The first two, even if you don't believe in God and you think Jesus is a myth and made up, the first two you will see and accept as true because all people will know that first of all, the extent to which you don't forgive someone else for the wrong they've done, to the extent that you won't forgive them, you continue to be their victim as long as you resent them. It's very plain. When you resent the person who's harmed you and they're not there, you're the one who suffers. Do you see that? Conversely, you can be free from the perpetrator only when you free them from their debt, especially when their debt cannot be repaid. Living with resentment only harms you. That's the first fact of what happens when we won't forgive. The second one is this. The bitterness of unforgiveness always spreads. It never only remains in the person who's resentful. And you will know this if you know a friend who's been harmed and really likes to tell you about all the bad things that have happened to them. That's resentment spilling out of them because we were not made 
by God's design. We were not made to hold on to resentment. And so what we do when we won't forgive someone is we bring others into our bitterness. And, and, and one of the most deadly things in church is when unforgiveness thrives, then little circles develop within the church of factions of who are against each other, and that always tears the church apart, and it ruins the church's witness, which is why in the letters that are written in the New Testament, Paul makes such a big deal about teaching people in the church to forgive one another, but whether you're in the, in the church or not, the second fact about unforgiveness is it always spreads. Here's the third, and this one is for people who follow Jesus. Listen now, in Jesus' view, the debt that God has forgiven each one of us is so great that we could never pay it back. Now, here's where you may not agree with Jesus, but the scriptures teach us that the debt that we owe in our sin and in our transgression and in our iniquity is literally impossible for us to pay back. And, and, and in that regard, Jesus means every single person, whether you're relatively good or super wicked, to see that before God, all of us stand just as the first servant did with a debt that we could never pay back. And that means that when we won't forgive other people the debt that they owe us, that we will look just like this servant in Jesus' story looks to God. And listen now, and this is a hard part, but I want to say it truthfully. The implication, which if you're reasoning it out, is also true. It is that the debt which others owe you is very small compared to the debt which you owe God. And I say that carefully because I know that many of you in here are owed great magnitudes of debt because people have mistreated you. But here's the fourth fact, and this is the most challenging. When we choose not to forgive others, it separates us from those people. And, and this is only something that you can accept if you're willing to be a disciple who trusts God, then we are not able to see that other person in the way that God has chosen to see them. And the way that God has chosen to see even the person who has harmed you by robbing you of something that you can never get back is just as the king regarded the first servant. And so the only way that you can truly forgive is to see not only yourself through the lens of forgiveness, but be willing to let God forgive that perpetrator by seeing them through the story which Jesus told, the one who harmed you, to be okay with God forgiving them as the king forgave that first servant. Is that hard to do? Sometimes it's really hard to do. Listen, I, I told the story of Hector Black because in my mind, it's the most dramatic and severe story. And so if that person can do it by God's grace, then each one of us can. A month after Hector wrote that letter to Ivan Simpson, he received a letter back from jail and he didn't expect this. Uh, this is what the man who murdered his daughter wrote to him. Dear Mr. Hector Black and family, I first want to say, God bless you all and in all things. Second, I have to go straight to the point. I know God has forgiven me. You have forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Not yet anyway. I have so much anger at myself right now, it's unbelievable. I will always be remorseful. I used to hear God speak to me all the time, but I guess after what I did, he took away his touch from me. Right now, I miss his voice. God, comfort you in everything. Feel free to ask me anything you like. If I can, I will try to answer it. Hector actually wanted to know how anyone could do what Ivan had done. Would you want to know? 
I, I, when I put myself in this position, that would be high up in my, my list of questions. How could anyone ever do such a thing? And so he wrote him back and asked him, tell me your story. At the time of this report, I heard this uh, on Radio Lab. they had been writing one another for 10 years. There, there was a story behind what happened with Ivan, not a story that made it okay what he did at all because nothing could ever make something like that okay. But what it did in hearing the story is it made it so Hector could actually have compassion for the man who stole his daughter. And this is what you are challenged to do. First of all, by the scriptures, it is to embody the same kind of compassion with the people who have harmed you that has been given to you and all people because God has decided to be God who is gracious. <laughs> Ivan was born in a mental institution and at two days old, he was taken away from his mother who was schizophrenic. He went to live with his grandmother's sister who had to work sometimes, so Ivan had to go and stay with his birth mom who was terribly abusive. At one of their visits, this is truly horrible, but it's true. At one of their visits, she took three, all three of her children to a swimming pool and she drowned her daughter and then took her second son and meant to do the same. And this is when Ivan was 11. He had to wrestle his brother out of his mother's arms and escape. And of course, that doesn't explain or excuse why he did what he did, but it does open this fact, which is true. Behind every wicked thing that somebody does, there's always a story. Can we accept that? It's so hard when the wicked thing has been done against you. But what's even harder, and this is why I tell this story, is, and this is the fifth thing, by the way, about what unforgiveness does, is that all of us need to accept this, and this is extremely challenging, and this is what Jesus teaches. It is that if we, ex if we refuse to extend forgiveness to others, then we jeopardize our reception of God's forgiveness for ourselves. And this is not my idea, but this is what Jesus taught very plainly. After the first servant throws the one who owed him a hundred into jail, his actions are reported back to the king who's incensed at what he hears. And so he comes and brings that first servant back into his presence and he asks him this question. This is verse 33. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And that's a question from the king to that servant, which each and every one of us should hear as a question from God to ourselves in, in relationship to the people who it's hard for us to forgive. And, and listen, as your pastor, I also have to struggle with this as much as anyone else does. And I was not joking when I said that even today, I'm reminded again of people who have harmed me, who I have something against, and who are hard to forgive. But this question from the master to that servant is God's question to me. Christian, shouldn't you have mercy on that other just as I have had mercy on you? And that's a real question. And it's not a question that is asked to bind me up, but rather to invite me to accept the freedom that God has given to me as I pass along that freedom to the other. And in Jesus' story, it ends with an incredibly challenging promise. Because what happens is as this servant is unwilling to forgive the other, is he himself is thrown into prison and he is tortured until he can pay back the debt, which means for a really long time. And in verse 35, Jesus says this, so my heavenly father will also do 
to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. In some measure, I wish that Jesus hadn't said that, said that because I only want to hear things from Jesus that are unequivocally comforting to me and that does not comfort me. Does it unsettle anyone else? It's not, if it was the only place Jesus said it, maybe we could explain it away. You know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. At the end, he says, forgive us our debts. Do you know what it says next? As we forgive our debtors. Or if you went to a different church, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. After that, Jesus says very plainly, if you will forgive the trespasses of others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you won't, he will not forgive your trespasses. And this is it. And this is a really challenging message. God's forgiveness comes to us unconditionally. Without any regard to what we've done in the past, God is ready to completely forgive us because he's got compassion for us. But that forgiveness also challenges us to move forward in a new way, which is to pass it along. And if we won't pass it along, then there's gonna be a real question whether we are truly living in that forgiveness at all or rather removing ourselves from it. And so here, I wanna challenge you toward accepting God's forgiveness for you so that you can pass it along to others. If you can bring to mind that person who's hard to forgive. And first of all, see yourself as the debtor with an impossible debt before the king who's choosing to forgive you. Now you see yourself in the right way. And now if the thought of forgiving that other is too much for you, imagine the king turning toward that other and also having compassion for that one. If it's still hard for you to forgive them, then what I want you to do is cry out in your heart to the king and say, oh king, thank you for your mercy to me. That's the first thing you should say it's hard for me to accept your mercy for that other. But would you please help me do it? Because here's, here's why you should ask God for that. Because God never asks us to do something that he's not willing to help us do. And of course he's willing to help you do that. If it's still too hard, then listen, see yourself there with unforgiveness in your heart as one of the other things which the king now also has to forgive and trust that when God looks at you, he says, I know about that too and I also freely forgive you in that way because you are the object of my compassion. I love you. Of course I forgive you. And then when you think of that other, ask a second time, God, please help me to forgive that other. If you still can't, keep thinking of yourself as a recipient of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. If you do this, I promise eventually God will help you move to the place where now you're ready to say, okay, how can I let it go? How can I begin to release them? How can I open my hands? And if you're like me, then what you're gonna do is this. You're gonna say, I'm going to do it on Wednesday. <laughs> Seriously, I, I've done this with some of the people that have hurt me. I think I'm gonna write them a letter. I'm gonna send a message that says, you know, I've been carrying this, I forgive you. And, and, and I think about how great it will be. I imagine writing, and then I don't. So here's what I want to challenge you. This is my last challenge to you. I want you to accept the truth that you don't know that tomorrow will come. Isn't that real? We don't know. So don't wait. Don't wait. If that means even in this instance, just in your own mind's eye and in your heart, letting go of something that you've been holding on for too long, would you do that right now? We don't even know if we have the next hour. And if it means making a phone call to them or reaching out, would you do it today? Just pretend that, that tomorrow's not here, okay? Do that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of our Lord and our Savior and our friend and our teacher, Jesus.
We thank you that we can gather in a place like this and open up difficult and challenging subjects like forgiveness and we can have his teaching to go on, that we can see the stories which he told and through them hear your voice to us. I ask very simply that each of us would have heard your spirit's call, first of all, to accept that we're beloved by you and that you've forgiven us through and through. And then secondly, I pray that you would empower us to do what you've required of us, which is to pass that forgiveness on to others. Don't let any of us imagine that we'll put it off until later in the week, but instead inspire us to think that we don't even know what tomorrow has, and then fill us with grace and joy, even to the people who have harmed us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.